Hey everyone, are you ready to revamp your summer wardrobe so you're ready for all the sunny days ahead? Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect summer wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then, when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. Women always want to feel fresh and confident in the latest trends, but it's not sustainable nor healthy to shop all the time. The clutter that collects in my closet closet and the waste I create with nonstop shopping are no bueno. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a dress for a black tie event, you will have everything you need to look and feel great without the weight of an overcrowded closet and all that wasted money and materials that come with it. Trust me, Marie Kondo and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. On today's episode of The Heal Podcast, I sit down with my good friend, Stacy Salodkin, who has an inspiring story about healing stage 3C ovarian cancer. Like Elizabeth from the film Heal, Stacy went all in on her cancer treatment. She did a combination of Eastern and Western medicine and surrounded herself with a team of people, her earth angels, she calls them, to support her along the way. Unfortunately, there is no one-size-fits-all model for healing cancer. I wish there was, but there is so much we can learn from a powerful success story like Stacy's. And for those of us listening who are healthy, her experience can actually help us prevent something like cancer as we learn what she does now to stay healthy and clear. Let's dive in. So I'm here with my dear friend, Stacy Salodkin, who we've known each other for how long? Like... 15, 15 years, 15 years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So Stacy has a remarkable story. Um, I'll let her tell us a little bit about her background, but she has a remarkable healing story that I think is so important to share because she really became her own advocate and learned how to navigate the conventional medical system while at the same time treating her chronic health issue as from a holistic perspective and taking into account every aspect of her life. 
She is truly one of the poster children of Heal (laughs) because you have this beautiful blend of Western and Eastern approaches and you really integrated everything and, and have this real remarkable healing story that I think will inspire many. So just start by introducing yourself and give us a little background about, you know, what led you to where you are today. My name is Stacy Salodkin, and I am a stage 3C ovarian cancer survivor. I don't usually say that, but since we're talking about my healing journey, that's my healing journey. What do you want to know? Yeah, I mean, so much. So I just want, I know so much about you. So (laughs) for the audience, um, I'd love to just tell, you know, your family history and the years leading up to your diagnosis to give everybody a context of the full picture, because I think your family history and experience really plays a big role in, you know, what you've gone through. Yeah. I feel like I'm sort of an expert on cancer and losing people you love. And it sort of amazes me that I'm still here and amazes me that I get to share my experience. And I believe that that is why I'm here now. So 10 years ago, I lost my mother who was my very best friend, to cancer. By the time she was actually diagnosed, it was stage four, so it was in her bones. And she lived for two more years. And I went through that journey with her. It was very hard. And I live in California, so I'm surrounded by all of this wealth of knowledge around Eastern versus Western and holistic practices. And I, throughout her entire process, really was throwing things at her. You know, do this. Let's try this. Come to California. Let's go to this place. And my mother, while she really did take some of those things on, what I learned from that experience was, one, tell your people that you love, you love them as much as you can, all the time. And I learned that you have to allow people to have their journey with their illness. It's their life. It's their journey. And as much as you want to heal them, as much as you want to kind of control the outcome, there is no control. So I had to allow her. I learned within those two years to really allow her to have her experience. And um, cancer didn't kill her. Uh, Liver failure killed her because she had so much chemicals in her and she wasn't drinking water, flushing her body. She thought coffee was water, you know. (laughs) I'm drinking coffee. So then flash forward, you know, uh, back in 2000, the end of 2016, uh, my father was diagnosed with cancer pancreatic cancer. And uh, it was very far along. And I used what I had learned with my mom, with him, which was my, my relationship with my father was not as vast as my relationship with my mother, although he really did step up once she passed. And I knew I needed to see him as much as I could, as much as I could. So I would go home a lot to see him. And he was more open. So he actually did mistletoe injections for me. You know, he, he, my father wanted to live no matter what. And so he really would try anything for me. 
and um, he passed. And 10 days after I got back, and I just want to say that it was very stressful. It's very stressful walking somebody through that process. And you, you not, you're not only dealing with someone who has an illness, you're also dealing with all the members, family members, people around them. You know, when you get sick, when someone else gets sick, a lot of people start coming around and you have to really set up very strong boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's super stressful. So I had just gone through it a very, very, very stressful time. Came back, was sitting in my garden, you know, with my boyfriend. We had just moved, bought a house together. And um, about 10 days after I got back, I started having pain when I went to the bathroom. Poop. And sorry, I said poop. Poop. We all poop. poop. Everybody poop. And, uh, <laughs> but then once I pooped, I was fine, right? And I was healthy and I had energy. There was no other nothing, right? So I thought, oh, maybe I have, and I was looking it up on Google, like Dr. Hemorrhoids or something. Yeah, I thought maybe diverticulitis or something that like, you know, there was a blockage. So I was like, I'm just going to stay in bed and watch movies this weekend. It was an excuse to just, you know, when when something happens, to me, it's the universe telling you to slow down. Yes. So I was like, I'm just going to slow down. And, but it, progressively it was very painful and very strange. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life. And so I called my doctor while I was on the toilet (laughs) and she listened to the pain that I was in. And she was like, you know, go to the emergency room because they will, they will run all the tests. If you come here, then I'm going to have to refer you out and let's just figure out what this is. And so I, it was a work day for me. I, I own my own business. I have a very high stress job took my computer. I got in, did I Uber? I think I Ubered over there with all my work stuff. And I got there and I walked in like this. So they all think, what is she doing here? And they examined me. And, you know, you have to remember when you go into an emergency room, a lot of people, a lot of doctors have to do emergency room hours. So you might not get a specialist they're all doing their hours that they have to put in in the emergency room. So I think that the woman who initially examined me was like a plastic surgeon or something. And she said, you are constipated. And we're going to send, she's writing it out, what she's going to send me home with. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not constipated. And she's like, no, you are. And I said, I promise you, grown woman, I know I've been constipated. So then she went to the doctor that she had to go to, and he came in, and I think it might be constipation or a pulled muscle. Have you been exercising lately? And I was like, I've been exercising since I was like 14, and this is not a pulled muscle, promise you. Now, I have endometriosis, so I brought that up, and I said, you know, I this usually doesn't cause any problems in my life, but... I think I feel like there is a blockage Mm -hmm. and I really need you to run tests and I don't want to leave until you run tests. And so, okay, let's give her an ultrasound. They did an ultrasound and it wasn't conclusive, but they saw something. They didn't know what it was. So they made me wait and then they gave me an MRI, I think, or a CT scan and This whole process took about 12 hours. So I was there for 12 hours. 
And they had me sitting out in the waiting room with just people who were waiting for the patients. I wasn't even in a room at that point. And once they got those results back, they wheeled me back into, I was in a, you know, in a wheelchair. And I'm talking to my assistant on the phone saying, they're wheeling me back into a room. This isn't good. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, maybe they're just, they're, they're going to discharge you. I'm like, no, this is not how you get discharged. Get back into the room. The first woman who had initially diagnosed me came in and she shut the door pulled a chair over and she looked like she was about to cry. And she said, I am so sorry, but you have cancer and it's everywhere. Oh my God. Yeah. (sighs) And it's just that initial shock. Like what, what did they just say to me? And I called my boyfriend and I was calling my friends and and then we went through the whole rigmarole of them trying to get me admitted and no one wanted to admit me because nobody knew, because the cancer, it was all contained here, but it was everywhere. Mm. So nobody knew where the initial uh, tumor tumor was. So everyone said, no, it's not ovarian. Uh, It's not stomach. And they just walked away. And they wanted to send me home. And this wonderful woman said, I am not letting you go home because if you go home, that's it. Like, it's going to take three months for you to get an appointment. And she championed me, and I got admitted, and I was there for three days. And I did indeed have ovarian stage three. It was on every single one of my organs. And uh, that started my journey. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. Oh my gosh. I mean, I have so many questions because thank God you're sitting here now and you're, you know, healthy and have learned so much, which you have now turned into service and are just sharing as much as you can with, you know, people with ovarian cancer. And you've started this Facebook group. Yes. What's it called? It's called Ovarian Cancer, My Journey Through It. And I did that because pretty much from the very beginning, I was like, I have to film this. So at my chemos, I would film myself and When I was getting the chemo caps, I would film the chemo caps because I didn't really know what that was like. I didn't, I went to the chemos with my father, but it's just different. You just don't, you know, maybe because he was a man, I don't know. But going through the chemo that I was going through, I thought it was really important for people to see what that's like, Mm -hmm. to understand what is the first chemo like? And what is day one, day two, day three, day four? Because you spend all this time coming back from chemo and then you have a week and then you have to do it all over again. So it's this like up the hill, down the hill, up the hill, down the hill. And so I was like, I'm just going to put it all out there. And I wanted to know that people to know that there were resources and that you don't have to be alone and that the ugly parts of it are just as valid as the happy parts of it. And we were just talking about this before we even started this, which is I felt like it was really important for people to see 
the darkness that you that you go through and how even though you have those moments to if you can just hold on and push through those moments there is the sunshine on the other side of that there is the the power of getting through that and the lessons of getting through that is so important oh my gosh and i can't even imagine like it's hard enough to film a freaking like instagram story when you're on a good day you know yeah but to be vulnerable, to be in pain, to be nauseous, and to just have the commitment to share your story or document it for others' benefit and for you, you know, to process and everything is is just, that's like heroic. So what happened was because my parents died, which is horrific already, right? Worst thing you have to go through in your life is to lose your parents. I was thankfully left some money from my father. I thought I might die legitimately. And so I decided to explore anything I could, anything. And at the same time that I had that little spark, you sent me heal. It hadn't even come out yet. And you were like, just watch this. And I was watching it and I was filled with so much hope. And I was filled with this knowledge that Oh, I can do something here. I don't have to just follow what the Western doctors are telling me. There's a lot more to explore here, and I can be in control. And that set me off on my journey. And I was like, I am all in, all in. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. Because if not, what am I leaving on the table? Why would I leave anything on the table? I'm just going to go for it. And that's what I did. It's amazing. And and we're going to talk about what you did and how you explored it. Um, did they open you up a surgery right away? Yes. Tell us, because I know there was a difference of the surgery, the outcome of that, then your first chemo and the side effects of that in contrast to your second chemo after you started working with this integrative cancer coach. Yes. So initially what is said to you is we have to get this out. You have to get this cancer out. That is Western. Cut it, cut it, cut it. Urgent, urgent, urgent. Urgent. We got to cut it out. And I just knew after being with my mother and my father, I watched my mother have very hard interactions with her doctors. She wasn't cared for by her doctors. And a lot of times doctors will ignore you. And, you know, I don't want to put that on them. They're, they have a huge burden a lot of times they have a lot of people and they just can't give that kind of care to everyone. So what I learned was it was really important who you choose as your Western doctor. And so I started interviewing people and I went for a second opinion at uh, City of Hope and they didn't say, we're going to just cut it out. They said, we're going to look, we're going to look and see what's there. And we won't know until we open you up what's actually there. So in this first surgery, we're going to look. And if we think we can do it, we're going to go in and we're going to cut it out. So just having this person kind of have this other perception felt right to me. Mm-hmm. Just a more like, thoughtful approach. It's yeah. Me. I was like, this is my person. This is my person. And so they opened me up. He, well, they just put a scope. And he just knew there was 
no way to do the surgery without killing me. There was just, he was going to, I would have at the very least had a colostomy bag for the rest of my life. Too much of my liver would have had been taken, too much of my kidney, too much of my intestine, just everything. It was just too much. My spleen, everything. So he closed me back and said, I want you to do four chemos and then we're going to try this again. And I did my first chemo. And this is before I started exploring things. And because um, there's no time. I mean, it's there's like no there's time. urgent, urgent, urgent chemos on Monday. Yeah. It's like we got to go. Yeah. Let's get her into chemo. And I did the chemo and I had already decided to try and save my hair because why not? So I was doing chemo caps and chemo. Cold caps. Cold caps. Yeah. What Tell, tell for people who have never heard of cold caps, what are they? Are they accessible to everybody? And how do they help you keep your hair? So there's two different kinds. One that is at the hospital and it's different. It's not as good as I used penguin cold caps because the ones that are in the hospital are FDA regulated and they can't get as cold. So they don't save your hair as much. And what you're basically doing is you're freezing your head so that the chemo cannot get into the follicles Mm. of the hair, which is fascinating, right? So fascinating. It is accessible if you have money, it's expensive and you cannot do it yourself because every half an hour, every 30 minutes, you're being unwrapped and then wrapped again with fresh ice on your head. And you have to, it adds a couple of hours to your chemo because you have to freeze your head before and you have to keep your head frozen for two hours after chemo. So it adds to the work. Chemo is work. Right. So I did my first chemo and I was extremely nauseous, extremely. I was having two heavy duty. Both are supposed to make you lose your hair and both make you nauseous. And I was so nauseous and on the ground. And so the first thing you do when that happens is you contact the nurses. Right. And they sent me a Western medication to take for my nausea. And it made me sicker. Oh, no, it wasn't for nausea. I got constipated, maybe. I can't remember what happened, but they gave me a medication. <laughs> and it was so horrible and made me so sick that my friends were like, we're bringing over some pot, THC. Yeah. And so I did that. I had that delivered to my house, and I'm not a pot smoker. And that helped. And... I was like, there's got to be a better way. And that's when my friend sent me this video off of YouTube of Dr. Chilkoff, who is an integrative cancer specialist, acupuncturist. And she was talking about integrating Eastern and Western. And I went to meet with her. And the greatest thing you get from your first meeting with someone who is helping you in that way is this feeling of, I am control. I am in control of my healing. This disease is not controlling me. I am in control. And to feel that sort of power was amazing. And she immediately got me on. And of course, I'm all in. Yep. So 80 pills, 80 pills a day, may have been more than that, of supplements, right? All natural supplements. A very different protocol for nausea. Uh, nutritionist, changed my diet, 
and not just changed my diet, but also set up a program where five days before my chemo, I was doing something very different than the rest of the days. And then after chemo, also my diet was different and my supplements were different. Everything is highly marked out for what you need to do. And so that's the gift that she gave me. I was working with her. She was giving me acupuncture. I also went to another woman, Iris, at Fusion Healing, who was also giving me acupuncture and cupping. And I was working with my nutritionist who was helping me with food and guiding me, right? Part therapy, right? Yes. I'm crying because I I had to eat the cheese, you know? (laughs) Um, And my second chemo, I am telling you, it was like night and day. Night and day. It was still hard. And I filmed myself and I was crying and it was hard and I felt sick, but I was not on the bathroom floor wishing I were dead because that's how I was on the first one. I was like, just, I'm out. I'm out. I cannot do this. And I certainly cannot do this six times. Mm -hmm. There is no way. And uh, the second, my second chemo, I was like, well, this is hard, but I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. So I I don't even remember what your question was, but. It's okay. I just can't imagine the people that don't have the support and are just going through chemo like it was your first time. I mean, I just feel like this information needs to be just access to people that can help because, you know, chemo is attacking the cancer. Sure. But it's attacking the rest of your system as well. And that's why certain aspects of immunotherapy are so promising because it's all about boosting our own immune system. Yes. And I know Dr. Chilkoff, we're going to interview her for the podcast as well. She oh, talks God. about um, the cancer terrain yes, and how we've created an environment in our bodies based on what we're putting in our bodies and our environmental toxins, you know, suppressed emotions, all of this other stuff. So you know, Western treatment may be a necessary step like it was for you, but that's just attacking the problem. We, we The ultimate goal is we need to change the terrain yes. so that cancer cannot grow anymore, right. which is what you've done. So it's like, it only makes sense to me to do either a, you know, a holistic approach. You can't just bombard it, you know, with ammunition and not change the terrain because most of the time the cancer will come back. Yeah. So, and ovarian cancer, as you very well know, is a highly reoccurring cancer, yes. but you've done the work and you've changed the terrain. And I am an outlier. You're an outlier. That's what Chilkov calls me. Because you changed the terrain. I changed the terrain. You overhauled so much of your life. So can you share, there's so much I want to cover. Can you just share some of the treatments you did in order to change this terrain emotionally, detoxing your products, just kind of walk us through like some of the main steps you took and like basic, I know there's, you know, there's no one size fits all formula for cancer. It's very bio individual down to the diet is, you know, what worked for you is going to be something totally different yeah. based on your body, but also the type of cancer you have. So just give us kind of like a high level view of some of the things that were helpful and your basic like nutritional philosophy. Yeah, I, and and I will say that there were a lot of people who, when I told them what I was doing, they were like, well, but this guy says you should do this, and this worked for him. And I mean, this is why there's different 
people making different clothes and there's different shoes in a shoe store. You have to do what feels right for you. I stopped all sugar. I stopped anything that turned into sugar in the body. For example, bread. Rice, rice. bread, anything white, no potatoes, no, you know, anything that was acidic, no pineapple, no, I didn't do any fruit. Fruit, a little bit of fruit came after, but to this day, I don't really eat a lot of fruit. Even sometimes juicing certain vegetables can turn into sugar in the body. So that's why I needed the help from my nutritionist to really kind of tell me what I could and couldn't do. Cheese, anything that created inflammation in the body, because again, we're changing the terrain. Obviously, if you get cancer, your body is hospitable to cancer. And what you're wanting to do is make it so cancer's like, oh, I don't really like this place, yeah. you know? So your acidity, it's m- much better to be more alkaline in your body. And I really got rid of all of my facial products, all of the, uh, I stopped dyeing my hair, like all anything that was chemicals that could put an extra load on my liver right? Because your liver is now processing all of the poison that you're putting into it. And so what you want to do is support, support and D, you know, uh, you know, keep your detoxification systems flowing, flowing, right? So a lot of water and the emotional part that, and we talk, you and I talk about this all the time because there's so much stress in the world and it's really important to Try and identify in your world what is causing, what are those stressors, and try to minimize those as much as possible. So for me, that was work. And I know for a lot of people, it's family, it's money stress, it's everything. And that's when you have to start calling in your tribe. You know, I think so much in life right now is about doing it yourself. You can do it. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, all these things that were fed at a young age, especially as women, like we don't need anybody. We can do this ourselves. All of that has to really change. You have to allow, you know, it's like, it's more about like calling in your people, calling out for help and saying, I could really use some help. Is there any way, you know, and switching your mindset was a hard one for me because I'm a very hard worker and uh, delegation, handing things off, allowing people to bring you nourishing food, really making sure that the people who are also talking to you, you know, it's not just food you put in your mouth, it's things you listen to. So it's changing what you're consuming, what I'm consuming, all of it. Anything that could trigger an emotional response has to be thought about and having people around you who can almost be like your protectors, you know, for this bubble that you're creating as much as possible. I did the THC CBD. I met with someone. I didn't just go to a place. Mm-hmm. I went to someone who knows and I I I did that. I did mistletoe injections. I was Deathly afraid of sticking myself with a needle. And what are, what, what, what are mistletoe injections supposed to do for people who aren't Googling it right now? Right, so they're like mistletoe. <laughs> so mistletoe injections, it's a boost to the immune system. So anything I could do to boost my immune system, I did. And a girlfriend of mine who had had a very rare form of cancer 
back when she was young and she was absolutely not supposed to still be on the planet. Uh, she did mistletoe injections and she said to me that I had to do it. Mm. And so I went, met with the doctor. Dr. Chilkoff said, this is where you would go to get this. And that's what I did. And I did mistletoe injections. I did hyperbaric chamber. And before I got into the hyperbaric chamber, they had an infrared sauna. So I would sit in the sauna, which then opens you up. And then I would get into the hyperbaric chamber, which is high, high oxygen, mm -hmm. right? Um, also something that cancer doesn't love. Correct. Lots of oxygen. Lots of oxygen. So I was doing that. I was doing acupuncture several times a week with different people, one more energy-based and then always with Chilkoff. And all of these things, I, I I probably watched the Heal documentary, I can't tell you how many times, and was really figuring out who felt right to contact, who I could work with, and then just really quieting the space down so that I could really listen to my body instead of, you know, it really did become my full-time job. Healing was my full-time job. And intuition is such a, it's clearly our highest guide, right? Our inner guide, like everything we need to know is within if we know how to access it. Yes. How did you, there's so much fear that comes with the cancer diagnosis. Yes. That's just, mm. you know, based on how we're conditioned. Secondly, you lost both parents to cancer. So that just compounds your fear times a thousand, a million. So how did you navigate through the fear and really allow your intuition to, can you like, is there anything you can share to help people kind of hone in on their intuition? Because I know you had to navigate the pressure of your oncologists going, you need to do this now, this way, this urgency, and you go, wait a second, I need to take a breath and I need to try this. Or like, did you learn something about your intuition that you could share that others might be able to learn? Well, one of the things I'm just going to say right off the bat is I think it's really important to call in your angels. And I mean the angels that are on, on earth, your angels, because I don't believe that anyone should go to a doctor appointment alone. Mm. It's very hard to hear. It's very hard to absorb. And I learned that from my mother and my father, because if they went on their own, you miss things. Mm. So it's very important to find your advocates. And they also sort of helped me by bouncing things off. How do you feel about this? What You know, this is what was said. I just learned that everything is either fear or it's love. And so if, if I tried never to make a decision out of fear, mm -hmm. it always needed to be out of love and never made a decision because I felt stressed. If I felt stressed, and if the answer stressed me out, it was not the right answer. If I started to feel anxious, I was like, okay, no. And I didn't really want to do chemo at all. At all. The thing that's wonderful about having an integrative person instead of just Eastern or just Western mm -hmm. is that even though I was saying, I don't want to do chemo. And that made me anxious. I did have a wise sage with me who said, Stacy, this is a necessary thing, mm -hmm. but I'm going to help walk you through this. And we're going to do other things to help supplement. And um, so that's my caveat. You know, if I, if I had just gone off of the anxious, I shouldn't do that. 
then maybe I wouldn't have had the chemo. And I think that the chemo, when I went into chemo, I really thought of it as healing medicine. I think it's very important. And I know it's going to sound woo-woo, but I believe that your thoughts are super important. And feeling that go into me and knowing it was healing me, you're going to heal me, mm-hmm. you're going to heal me, uh, I believe helps. And, um, and sure enough, when they opened me back up after those four chemos with all of these other things that I had done, the doctors were, I mean, when I say they were amazed, like they thought it was a miracle. Like chemo does its job, but everything else I had done, they literally said to him, it's like the cancer had melted away. Mm, Wow. Melted away. And the only thing that was left was the one tumor in my ovary. That little shit that That, started it all. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so I came out of that surgery so happy. And then I had to do several other chemos after that. And I will say that once you, if you can get yourself going into this positive direction, right? Even if you're having the bad days, even if you're getting bad news, it's like all we have to do is protect this beautiful thing that we've been given, right? It is the most important thing, right? And if that becomes... For those of you listening, she's massaging her body. (laughs) (laughs) I'm touching myself. Yes, this beautiful vehicle that is the human body. um, I just decided to love this, love this body that I was in as much as I could and dance as much as I could, dance it out, cry it out, feel it, feel the fear, and just become my own soldier, and that's what I did. And and I think my intuition came in really strongly towards the end because towards the end, after my sixth chemo, and chemo is really hard and I have PTSD from it, 100%. I knew they wanted me to do one more. No, we, we need a seventh. And I said, no, I'm not doing, no, no. And I was just very definitive, no. Uh-uh. And then they wanted me to do, and I love my doctors, mm-hmm. like, like love mm-hmm. my, like I would marry my doctors, <laughs> except for I'm married. They also wanted me to go into a trial, you know, after you're done, now there's these trials mm-hmm. to keep it from coming back. And I just instinctively just knew, no, no, that's not, that's not my thing. It's just not going to be my thing. Didn't resonate. No, no more. It came in a bag that nobody else was allowed to touch. And it had like a skull and crossbones on it. And I'm like, <laughs> this isn't coming into my house. Yeah. Like I had to like wash your hands after you touch it. I'm like, no, yeah. no, just no, no. I, I did that already. Now, I mean, I'm healed in, in like seven or eight months. You just told me I was a miracle. No evidence of disease. No evidence of disease. And I was like, now my job, and then Shilkoff says, now your job is to keep it this way. Mm -hmm. If you go back to your old lifestyle, you are then inviting it back. Mm -hmm. And that's a big lesson because so many people just go back. Mm -hmm. They go back to the stress, which I have a little bit. We're all human, right? Um, They go back to the old eating habits. They go back to, to the every, toxic relationships, right. the toxic jobs. Right. 
everything has to change. And look, I'm still changing myself. I, nobody's perfect. No, it's, a, it's a journey till the end, right? We are on a journey. It is a journey and it's a long journey. It's not, it's a marathon. And once you have cancer, you are then dealing with everything that cancer brought into your life for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about not going back because you really do need a full overhaul. People that, I mean, I, I'm fascinated and obsessed with spontaneous healing stories and like people that are sent home to die and they're, you know, Western medicine doctors are like, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's all these people still around 25 years later, yeah. you know, and what did they do? We should be studying them. And there are people that are studying them. Anyone listening to this, I highly recommend looking into Kelly Turner's work, Radical Remission Research. And also um, Dr. Jeffrey Rediger's book, Cured, where he studied a bunch of the science of spontaneous healing, many people healing from incurable chronic conditions. I did all those things in that book, by the way. Yes. So, exactly. Yeah. Key factors. And they work. So, you needed this full overhaul of your life. And so, we're so conditioned to believe that cancer is a death sentence. And to change that conditioning is near impossible. But I'd like to to kind of up-level and update the software of that belief system and say, yes, cancer is a death sentence. Someone has to die. And that the person that's going to die is your old self. Oh, that's so good. I just got chills. (laughs) So let there be a death and then let there be a, a birth of you, the real you, the you that's supposed to be an artist because you've been painting a lot more. You're a brilliant, talented artist. And not to say you still can't own your own business and work a semi-stressful job, um, but to be reminded that you have these gifts and talents within you that you may have kind of tucked away or put under the rug or, you know, because of life took over. The biggest lesson, and, and this is what I wanted, I wanted to say to everyone, please don't need cancer to get this lesson. Yes. Like, don't call, don't call this in the way I called it in. I now make every decision based on how I'm going to feel about it on my last day, whenever that day is. How am I going to feel about this on my last day? Am I going to regret that I did this? Or am I going to be happy that I did this? Am I going to be like, yes, I'm so glad I made that decision. And it, it's it's a really easy barometer, right? Am I going to be happy on my last day that I worked you know, 16-hour days every day for the rest of my life? No. No, it, it, it just be, makes everything very clear. And so I just said, you know, I wish you would think about that. Think about your last day and, and how is that decision going to be? Mm-hmm. And is this that important? Like, does it, does it really need this much attention and this much angst? Stress, yeah. yeah, like life is, you know, life is so amazing and Again, like, I don't want to be all, like, flowers and rainbows. Like, cry, like, as hard as you can and, like, yell and scream and stomp and get it all out and then look at the tree, you know? And be grateful, yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so tell me, upon self-reflection, do you have any— Thoughts, or have you gone there yet to, as to how cancer developed so prolifically in your body? You know, after, I mean, obviously you've just been through the 
most stress anybody could have losing both parents to cancer. Yeah. Is there like an emotional aspect? Because there's so much maybe suppressed emotions that are tied to perhaps cancer or unresolved trauma. Yeah. Was there any of that that came to your awareness that was like, oh, I mean, I, or is it just, this was a wake up call to show me like, what, what is your takeaway from this experience? So I was always a healthy person and I had always been in therapy since like the age of, I don't know, 12. Right. So I've always been a very self-reflective person. I didn't have huge aha moments in the emotional arena necessarily. But what I did see was patterns, emotional patterns of myself that I wanted to change judgment, um, harshness, saying mean things to myself. What was the question again? <laughs> it was just about, uh, you're, you're answering yes. it beautifully, ahas and, and yes. takeaways. So I clearly, because my parents both had cancer, have a predisposition. It's in my genetics, right? But we don't have to wake those genetic things up, right? Pretty much everyone has some level of microscopic cells in their body that they could wake up. For me, for my experience, I know that what did this to me was stress. Without a doubt, 100% stress. And I know that it was growing probably because I, my mom, that was a super stressful situation. My job was highly, highly stressful. And the year and a half that I went through with my father was incredibly stressful, mostly because of, you know, uh, he had remarried and there was some family dynamic stuff there that was really, really bad. And like she, and this is just, this is such a common, the, I just want to go into it a little deeper Yeah. because the new, your stepmother or his new wife had a different approach or perception. So this is a real thing, whether it's you going through cancer or a family member and you wanting to help and like learning how to let go and have people have their journey. And then also to have someone in their life who you feel is not the best judge of direction and having it directly affect a loved one's life is like, I, I don't even know how. It's, um, and I'm glad you're talking about it because I think that this happens a lot more than anybody even realizes. Like I would come home and I felt like my father hadn't been taken care of, you know, and he would be in bed and not had eaten. And and then I would come home and we, we he would eat. And then all of a sudden he's out of bed and we're doing things. And oh. You know, he hadn't taken his pills. I, I mean, she was dealing with her own health journey because she had early onset dementia. Mm -hmm. So there was that going on. And she would get angry at me a lot because, you know, I mean, I wasn't a threat, but I was. Mm -hmm. At one point, you know, she got my father to tell me not to come back, that that was like the last time I was going to get to see him because that it was so hard. And so I had to say goodbye to my father, knowing that I might not be able to come back. And that changed, right? But, you know, going through massively. I mean, I remember one night, like, I broke my toe. <laughs> we were yelling. You know, it's ridiculous. My father is dying. And I'm dealing with this person who is making me. And this is the emotional part, right? Because you don't realize that you have this much anger inside of you. And I just had this and helplessness. 
helplessness and this rage, like I'm not an angry person, but this rage would just come out from me because I didn't know how to deal with someone who clearly was slightly unhinged and was trying to separate me from my father. And I get a lot of emails from people who say, but you don't understand. I have such a hard life and you don't understand. I don't have the space and time to do what you did. And, you know, there's there's so much to talk about the good stuff that we forget that, you know, I'm human too. Mm-hmm. I I had my own hard trials and tribulations to go through that contributed to my cancer that probably helped the cancer grow and grow faster. And, you know, we all navigate through those really hard, devastating things, you know, and losing my parents is like the most, being alone on the planet without family is really devastating. And a lot of people have to walk this journey on their own. And that's why you have chosen family and you choose the people who are going to be around you and are going to support you. And it's really, really important because I believe that they say, you know, we we were born alone, we die alone. But I do believe that there is something about tribe and that we all are supposed to help each other walk home. We're all helping each other walk home, you know. And so allowing those people into your life is really important. And so I learned that stress was something that I really needed to uh, work on in my world because that makes you acidic. It creates inflammation in the body. It releases cortisol in the body, which is not good for cancer. So it's all just about figuring out how to de-stress, meditation, sitting. You know, I can feel it. I feel like I feel it here. I don't even have my ovaries anymore, but just talking about it, I feel it in my body, you know, and really getting quiet enough so that you can recognize those feelings. And unfortunately, it does take something so drastic to wake us up to go, okay, and we can't be afraid of stress. Like I just was telling you on the way here, I have had a tremendously stressful week, a lot of emotional stress around a health emergency with a family member, not sleeping for four days takes its toll. And so this morning, like feeling better, I finally slept and I'm on my way here and spilled my coffee in my car. And I'm just like, lots of curse words, like just getting that energy out of my body triggered by my coffee, but, and, and I'm not out of control. Like I'm totally conscious and I'm going, okay, this is great. This coffee just spilled on my white leather seats, you know, <laughs> but, and I had luckily have like a rag cause I have a two-year-old. So there's lots of, you know, towels in my car, clean up the coffee. And just, I'm just like, you know what? That felt so good. And I've had this primal scream inside of me for the last five days, maybe the last five weeks. And I just like screamed and I was just like, motherfucker. <laughs> and I did it like three times and it was so therapeutic. I'm just like, yeah, I got to learn how to get this out. And so, you know, my whole work is talking about how stress takes a toll on its bot- the body. But here I am. There's going to be times in your life where you're super stressed. But to have the knowledge, awareness and tools to get yourself back in balance so that it doesn't accumulate to the point where you end up with a stage, whatever diagnosis, you know, and really letting the small stuff go. Yeah. 
understand, like remembering that this life is precious. I mean, I just wish I could have the gratitude that you must have every day, you know, because you're alive. Like you were crying yesterday when we were doing this beautiful webinar and you're just like, I'm just so freaking grateful to be alive because that was at stake and it's at stake for everybody. I mean, I could literally, accidents happen all the time. I could get hit by a bus, God forbid, after this interview. So I think that if we can, this is why I love sharing your story, not only for people going through this to give them resources and hope and, and, you know, strengthen their belief in possibility, but also to remind the people that aren't dealing with something as gnarly as what you dealt with to wake up and go, I, I can't, I don't want to end up there. So I want to let this shit go. I want to let these resentments and regrets go. I want to stop beating myself up. We're humans. We make mistakes. We live in this very unforgiving society right now. I'm on a soapbox, but it's like, screw cancel culture. We're humans. We we need to give grace. We need to learn from our mistakes. We need to embrace ourselves, love ourselves. And it sounds so cliche, but we need to do the art. We need to do the things that bring us joy. We, yeah. you know, we don't want to be working 16-hour days unless no. you have this like mission and there's an end goal and you're you know, you're able to stay balanced in that process, you know? Even if it's just like your cup of tea in the morning, like if that's something that brings you joy, if you can take five minutes and just really focus on that, like if, even if it's just the smallest amount each day that you can just find one thing that is like your thing and build from there, you know, because, and then also remembering, you know, I'm not perfect you know, in this Instagram age, you know, everybody looks so whitewashed and perfect and we do have bad days. And, you know, I'm not perfect every day. I'm going to have a stressful day. And one of the things that happens when you have a bad diagnosis is once you're through it and you think if you slip up, oh my God, it's coming back. And one of the things Chilkov helped me is just, you know, there is this, you live with this fear that it's going to come back, but not just one thing is going to bring it back. It's like, it has to be a sustained thing. And, you know, I ask her all the time, what do we do if it comes back? And she's like, we'll deal with it. Yeah. We'll deal with it. And we're going to catch it soon because of the microscopic cell tests we were talking about. There's all these different things, the blood tests, you know, hopefully you catch it quick now because you're, looking for it before it becomes something that Western medicine would would catch. Yes. And again, then you just tend to the garden and make sure the soil and the terrain is healthy Yeah, to grow flowers and not tumors. Yeah. And thank you, because I feel like you're doing so much in this space, just giving and giving people a light on the journey, on the trail, you know, and I just hope that people listen and even if you feel like your life is overloaded and there's too many things, even if you just do one thing, read one page of Heal, you know, one, do 10 minutes of the, the documentary just to infuse yourself with some hope. I think, you know, just baby steps, right? Yes, yes totally. And I wish I could do more. I wish there was an easy formula and an easy answer but all of these little, uh, you know, not little, extraordinary stories like your own, you know, are pieces of the puzzle that people can take and put together for their own success. Um, and I'm just hopefully, you know, 
keeping the puzzle pieces coming at them. You are, yeah. lady. You are. You're <laughs> a puzzle master. I have a lot to learn still. So thank you for sharing your story and, and, and you know, helping all of us learn a little something today and keep inspiring and um, shining because you're glowing, uh, you're a glowing picture of health. And um, I just love you and, and thank you for sharing your story. I love you. Thank you. And I just, I'm really, really grateful for you. I mean, you really did send me at the very perfect time heal. And it really, it, it was a beacon of hope for me. So thank you. You'll always be one of my angels. Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Thank you so much and be well. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.